In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and this is another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is Thursday, July 16th. And today, Atlanta United was beaten by Cincinnati one to nothing on Thursday down in Orlando in the MLS tournament. It was Atlanta United's second consecutive loss, second shutout in league games, and third overall as their scoreless streak reaches 305 minutes. Uh, the winning goal was scored by Frankie Amaya, a beautiful left-footed shot into the upper left corner, uh, one of the better goals I've seen in a while. Uh, certainly better than some of the goals I've seen like in the previous game, San Jose versus Vancouver. Um, Atlanta United was undone uh, by a red card to, or two yellow cards and a red to Jake Moraney in the 26th minute, I believe. Uh, and as always, to talk post-game reaction, I'm joined by Jason Longshore of 92.9 FM and SoccerDownHere.net. Jason had to get up awfully early in the morning to go to the stadium and do radio for this game. So how are you feeling right now, Jason? Ah, exhausted. Um, I think my partner, Mike Connie, said it best. Now I know exactly how fans feel when their college team would lose that noon kickoff on Jefferson Pilot back in the day. (laughs) It's just a gut punch for the rest of the day because I tweeted it afterwards. It was the most frustrating game that I can ever remember on, on so many fronts. You know, there's so many different elements that were frustrating about it. It was, it was a rough one. It was a rough one. Well, let's flip this around. You be the, the host and tell me why you were frustrated. Um, I mean, let's, let's work it chronologically here. So to start the match, and we've seen this a lot in these early games, it's tough to get a rhythm. It's tough to get into the match. Your, your body's not used to working at that time of the day. You're not playing competitive matches at 9 a.m. unless you're nine years old. It showed early on. Cincinnati had no interest in trying to play the match early on. They sat back, put numbers behind the ball. Atlanta completed over 100 passes before the first hydration break around the 15-minute mark. And I talked about it in the pregame, and I think it was the plan coming in. It was keep the ball, especially let's see what Cincinnati's going to do because it's unpredictable with Yopstam in a second match in charge. But see what they're going to do, see what they're going to show you, but get everybody touches. Try to get everybody on the ball at some point in that first phase to get comfortable, to try to get into the match. And as it was concluding the first phase before the first hydration break and into that second segment of the first half, you saw the tempo start to increase. You saw Atlanta start to get more numbers forward, start to take more chances going forward. And Jake Mulraney, was too risky on two different plays and you get two yellows and you get red carded and the, the game's completely different at that point. I, I think 
it's very easy to try to take a whole lot out of this because people are frustrated. You want to see the team get results, but you go a man down before the 30th minute, it's pretty likely you're not going to get a result in that match. That's how these things go. Um, I don't have the record in front of me. I, I was actually going to do a little bit of research on this to see, you know, what the record is in that situation. Um, there's not many wins and there's a whole lot of losses. And when you add on the other factors to it, you add on Pitti Martinez playing 90 minutes on the weekend. You add on Ezekiel Barco, who's not 90 minutes fit. You add on the heat and the humidity, and you're, you're down a man. Your best chance to get something out of the game was to get a goal in the rest of that first half. And you had a great opportunity to do that when Ezekiel Barco was, was fouled inside the 18. And a long delay, a long opportunity to take a look and a second look and a third look and maybe a fourth or a fifth look at that pulls it back and after that you could watch the energy be sapped out of Atlanta United on the whole not every player uh, there were some who impressed me with their physical reserves because I expected the wall to be hit a whole lot sooner than it was but it showed on the goal it showed when Atlanta didn't have a whole lot of answers after that and all of those things add up to a very frustrating morning to some of your points, uh, to be fair, even when Atlanta United had 11 men on the ball and were completing all those passes, they weren't creating any scoring opportunities. They didn't but that's have exactly a, what I'm saying. They, that, they that, didn't have a exactly shot on goal. No, no, I know. This is what I'm saying. Cincinnati's dropping everybody behind the ball. It's a 90-minute game. You got to play 26 with 11 v. 11. It's hard to say that because in the first segment of the game, because we've seen this in these morning games, it's brutal. It's not normal for these games, and it's really difficult. I think Atlanta came in with a game plan to develop and build over the 90. It's all thrown out the water. I mean, it's all thrown into the trash with the red card because your game plan, if it was to build and get everybody touches early, but you didn't create chances early because you were trying to get touches early, well, then nothing matters after the red card. That's, right. yeah. I, I, that's where I think it's hard to take – a lot out of this one in terms of what the whole 90 minutes would have looked like because we didn't get to see that. We saw yeah, I'm not. I'm not really worried about after Mulraney's red card. I'm yeah, more just curious about those first 20-something minutes. As I pointed out, Atlanta United created even – I mean, I know Cincinnati was playing back, 11 men. Still, I, I don't – I think Atlanta United had one shot in the first 20-something minutes. Didn't have a shot on goal until the 40-something minute. All those crosses they were pumping in to Manuel Castro in that previous game, they didn't try a single one to Adam Yawn in the first 20-something minutes. Uh, and when you're going against a bunker defense, you know you either have to go around the flanks or you have to try to play through. And it didn't really seem like Atlanta United was trying to do either one. Um, I'm not quite sure what was going on. I don't know if it was the heat. I don't know if it was the conditions. I, I really don't know. Um, but it, it was just, It was curious. To me, going to Mulraney's, the two cards he received, the second one, I had zero argument with that yellow card. The first one was a little bit curious to me because he was jumping in to try to block the, the pass. He actually caught a high boot to his groin. Mm -hmm. uh, he got the guy on the ankle, but he gets the yellow card. To me, it's almost yellow, yellow for a high boot, or it's no yellow card and just a foul. What, what did you make of that? 
Uh, he was late and reckless, so I, I didn't have a massive issue with it. But when you, you get into the second half and Matthew Duplan picks up a yellow and then not jumping in in the way Mulraney did, but sliding through late on Ezekiel Barco's ankle studs up, and he had just gotten a yellow and a warning, to not show a second yellow there is back to the frustrating word. You know, it's one of those things where there was no hesitation to go second yellow on Mulraney early in the match, which referees are generally reluctant to do. You don't want the story to be about you in that moment. And there's no denying that changes the whole day. To not have the second yellow on, I think, an easier decision for mm-hmm. Deplon's tackle later, it takes you back to those decisions on the first one. And you're like, well, it was this way earlier, but then it's this way later. That doesn't add up. Mm-hmm. And it was something that will, will drive you crazy. The, the penalty being taken back and then not getting 10 V 10, which I expected it seeing the replay with Deplon. Mm-hmm. I expected that to be a second yellow immediately after you pick up a yellow to go in studs up the way he did on the touchline into Ezekiel Barco's ankle. It's an easy yellow card, especially with that standard you set in the first half on that decision that you're talking about. That was a little more of a bang, bang play. This one was simple in my, my book. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, uh, oh, I'm not even going to get into JJ Williams red card. That was just a, I don't know what that was, but it wasn't a very smart play um, on his part. Um, Pitti, to me, uh, I thought, you know, gave everything he had. Uh, looked tired at the beginning of the game, had some sloppy touches, which we haven't really seen a lot of this year. Um, Barco was doing everything he could to get into the game um, and just couldn't get anything going. So, you know, th- those are your two, two of your three DPs. The third, of course, Joseph Martinez is out for the season. Um, so going back to the conditions now, what did you make of Frank's comments post-game about these 9 a.m. start times? They're difficult, and, you know, they, they get compounded when you have the things that happened in this match, but they're very, very difficult. And I think for a team like Atlanta, it's more difficult than for a team like Cincinnati with the game plan because the game plan for Cincinnati was not to control the match. It was not to be proactive. It was to react to everything. So you're, you're sitting back and absorbing a lot more. It's not quite as taxing on your body. Yeah, I was a little surprised Cincinnati didn't open up more earlier as yeah. the yeah, red card happened. I, I kind of expected it and thought that might help Atlanta in some ways. Um, I'm with Frank on it. I mean, I, I understand it. Take the soccer out of it for a second. I understand it from a commercial standpoint. I understand it from trying to avoid heat now, for example, or trying to cram another game into the evening. You couldn't really do a a five o'clock kick or a a six o'clock kick in in Orlando because you're more than likely going to get stopped by a thunderstorm. So you really didn't have a lot of options and it's not good for the soccer. You know, it creates sloppy moments like we saw with Pitti Martinez. It creates, you know, not necessarily an attractive match for the viewing public. And this one, you know, really wasn't. You know, I think those of you who are emotionally invested in it are going to be into it no matter how ugly the match turns into. Mm -hmm. But if you're in neutral and you turn this one on, it's it's not the most appealing statement for the league. Yeah, it's it's an odd thing. To me, it is – I, I guess I can understand the league's logic. 
Um, but at the same time, it, the heat in, or the feels like index was 100 degrees at 9 a.m. Uh, for this game. I went and looked it up. It's been that high in the other ones, though. And right. That's but, one but, thing. Hold on. Yeah. But the end of my point is I don't know if it makes a difference if it's 100 degrees at 9 a.m. or 110 degrees at 1 p.m., uh, you know, whether you should go at 9 or 1. Um, it's just it's, it's a weird, weird thing, and I'm glad I didn't have to make that decision. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad I didn't have to play in it. Um, I mean, guys probably lost a lot of weight playing in that I, match. Because, I did ask Emerson Hyndman that question the other day, how much weight he lost against Red Bulls, but he, he deflected and went on to another topic. Because, um, I, I, I mean, it's got to be at least 10 pounds, those guys out there running around. It's, it's something yeah, crazy easily. like that. Um, so now Atlanta United must face Columbus. It must beat Columbus. And it needs a lot of help. Um, can this team, number one, beat Columbus? And do you think it's going to make it into the wild card or into the knockout rounds of the tournament as a wild card? It's not likely because of all those things that have to happen. Um, you can beat Columbus. I mean, that part, it can happen. This team has the talent to do it. We'll, we'll see what happens with Columbus and, and Red Bulls tonight. But are you going to? Well, We'll have to find out. You will get uh, George Bellow back in that one. You know, you'll be missing Mulraney and Williams. You've got cover for that. I think you need to go with a similar kind of starting lineup. I'd like to see Adam John get that opportunity. And, you know, if you want to play the, the hindsight 2020 game, which is, is easy to do now, should maybe you have kept Adam John in the match and, and, sacrifice Pitti Martinez or Ezekiel Barco because it was highly unlikely that either one would be able to go 90 in the conditions. And you would expect that Adam John not playing much on Saturday, maybe he could have, maybe that would have given you a simpler option and really made the game ugly. If Atlanta just played direct to John and, and just tried not to invite any pressure, who knows? It's easy to say that now, uh, but who knows? They can beat Columbus. Um, they have to perform better. They have to continue creating chances, but they have to start converting on them. And they have to avoid these mental lapses, the, these lack of focus moments that have hurt them. You know, the breakdown on the first goal uh, against Red Bulls, that was four or five different players kind of losing their focus. The moment today with the goal, uh, Tired legs, for sure, factored into it, but you lose focus. You don't step to the ball. There were other moments in the match. Mulraney's positioning on the second yellow card situation. He was beaten to the spot by Joe Jiao. Um, saw that happen with Castillo a couple times when he came on. Those moments of being locked in, it has to be better. It has to be better. And all you can focus on is beating Columbus. You know, Anything other than that is a bonus. You have to get three points because it is a league match. It is a regular season match. You have to take care of Columbus and let the chips fall where they do. Are you at all worried about Atlanta United scoring? Yeah. I mean, I think you have to be just because you haven't seen much of it without Joseph Martinez, but you are missing the best goal scorer in the league and it shows. I think, you know, it's very difficult to, because of the way the calendar is worked out and the way you didn't have matches for four months, it's very difficult to find the solutions. You know, we saw immediately after the injury, Adam John start one match. A couple days later, Pitti Martinez started up top. Saw some rearranging in the midfield. Down here, it's been, you know, the same thing. You saw Pitti and Castro and Josetu start up top. 
in game one. You saw John start today, but you didn't get to see what that could have turned into. Not having games after you resume training, not being able to play and test it in competition, even friendlies, has hurt this team because you don't plan to not have a player like Joseph Martinez. There's not much of a backup plan there. And you, know, you talk about not having depth, and I've seen a lot of conversations about the team should have had somebody to replace him. There's only so much you can do. You know, you have a salary cap. You have roster limitations. Not many teams have a all-star kind of backup forward. And with that all being said, yeah, Goal scoring is going to be a problem for this team right now, but somebody has to step up, whether it's John, whether it's Kitty Martinez, whether it's Ezekiel Barco, somebody has to step up and give this team a spark. And we haven't seen enough offensive sparks in these 180 minutes plus down in Orlando. And the formation. Do you think this formation works for the personnel? I think it works really well with Joseph. Uh, I thought the way this team looked in CONCACAF play with Joseph Martinez was very good. And I loved the interplay with Pitti Martinez and Ezekiel Barco sitting behind Joseph, Joseph dropping deep. It was very fluid. You had good balance there. It doesn't work as well without Joseph. And maybe it needs to change or somebody needs to get more comfortable in that role. What it, my biggest concern about it is in a match like Columbus, where you have three players who are very strong on the ball in the middle of the park in Lucas Zellerayan and Darlington Nagby and Artur, you're going up against primarily two holding midfielders. They're going to have that advantage three on two. You're going to have to get some help in there. It's either going to be one of those attacking number tens dropping deeper to help, or you're going to have to have some different rotations, a center back stepping up higher to help, and then you have to cover for that. It's a, a formation that requires a lot of focus, a lot of sharpness, a lot of quick decision-making, and we haven't seen enough of that right now. It is um, – I don't think it works. I, I still do not understand why they changed from something that did work uh, last year. Um, and I, I can still remember this as plain as day because it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me then and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me now. Um, the, he went to the 3-4-3 last year because he said we didn't have Franco Escobar. Um, well, they have Franco Escobar now. So why, have you, why are you still sticking with the 3-4-3? Um, that is what I, I don't understand. Um, and Frank's tried to explain it, but it still doesn't make sense to me. When it's flowing, you can create overloads in every phase of play. The flow is critical. And I think it was something we talked about on our full-time report after the match on Saturday. It's hard to develop that chemistry, that cohesion that you need to play the shape right now and that you need to play, especially the way the front was set up on Saturday. You know, I talked at that point about Adam John coming on because he simplifies the game. He's a traditional number nine. You have that pivot up top to, to base around. I think your point about playing a different formation right now might be the easiest route because it's simpler. The 3-4-3, when it is working, and as we've seen, 
Matagua, not the greatest of opponents, but as we saw in that second leg, you saw a lot of rotation. You saw a lot of strong play from the team, a lot of interplay. That's what you want to get to. I don't know if it's a, a strong expectation to see that right now because of Joseph's absence and because of two competitive matches in four months. And maybe just simplifying things at the moment is the way forward. You might have to, depending on who's ready to go on Tuesday against Columbus. All right, what do you have upcoming? We've got uh, probably a doozy of an overreaction <laughs> Friday on soccer down here tomorrow. Uh, it'll start at 9 o'clock. It'll go till we, we hear from everybody. And we try to take a lot of tweets, a lot of comments on our Twitch channel. Uh, we try to you know, respond to everybody's different thoughts on this. And a game like this is going to get a lot of different reactions and a lot of different thoughts. We'll have plenty to talk about in the morning. Uh, you can listen on SoccerDownHere.net. You can subscribe to the podcast that goes out after the live edition on any podcatcher that you, you listen to podcasts on. And you can watch on Twitch.tv slash SoccerDownHere. All right. And as always, this is Doug Robertson. You can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. I hope you'll consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Atlanta United beaten by Cincinnati one to nothing in the second game of the MLS tournament. It is sitting on zero points. It must beat Columbus Tuesday night to have any chance of advancing as a wild card in this MLS tournament. If not, it's going to be coming home, and it's probably going to be a while before it will next play because the championship game in this tournament uh, is, what, August 11th, I think? Right. So it could easily be another month before Atlanta United plays again, which is probably not at all what they want. All right, this is Southern Fried Soccer. Please subscribe, please listen, stay safe, and I hope that you're happy. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.